Hello looters, welcome to special episode 14 of the movie loot, the special episodes that come out every other month where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it and see why it works. If you think this is a great idea, then why don't you go back and check the previous 13. And since we're just coming off of Halloween, know that some of those special episodes cover horror classics like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alien, Psycho and many others. In our latest episode, The Zombie Loot, we had Kevin and Erin, hosts of the podcast that wouldn't die, talking about zombie films. And coming off of that episode, it was expected that I would decide to dive into a zombie film for this special episode. And that is 28 weeks later. And what better way to talk about a film that features a deadly virus than by being infected with a deadly virus myself. Yes, after three long years, I lost my battle with COVID and got a positive result a couple of days ago. So this is where we're at. But the show must go on. So if you hear something different in my voice, then thank the deadly traces of virulent COVID that are making it sound this uh, different. But back to our movie. 28 weeks later, I rented this film back in the day and really enjoyed the film as a whole. Maybe even more than 28 days later at the time. A film I liked a lot but had some issues with. But I might get to that later. Anyway, as much as I liked the movie, something that always stood out for me was the opening scene. And I said this on that Zombie Loot episode, that the opening scene still remains as one of the most intense and terrifying opening scenes I've seen on any film. And that's why I want to talk about it. Now we warn, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen 28 Weeks Later, then check it out. Then you can come back and listen to the episode. As of now, 28 Weeks Later is streaming free on Hulu, but it's also available for rent on most streaming platforms. So let's begin. Welcome to London. I think that makes you the youngest person in the entire country. Oh, that's just so much. What are you afraid of? What if it comes back? It won't come back. What if it does? If it comes back, we kill it. If you come into direct contact with... The infected? What happened? To mom. Step one, kill the infected. Step two, containment. Containment fails. Do you think Mum's still alive? <laughs> Not this time. We've lost control. Now they won't stop until everyone is dead. Code Red.
So, to set things up, 28 Weeks Later is the first sequel to Danny Boyle's critically acclaimed 28 Days Later, which was released in 2002, a film that a lot of people credit as revitalizing the zombie genre. That first film takes place, as the title says, 28 days after a zombie outbreak occurs in London and follows a small group of characters as they try to survive zombies, but also other survivors. 28 Weeks Later was released in 2007. At the time of filming, Boyle was committed to his sci-fi film Sunshine, so the film was directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo from Spain, while Boyle remained as executive producer. This sequel is set, well, 28 weeks after the initial outbreak, as residents are returning to a quarantine area in London after the infection has been allegedly controlled and eradicated. Unfortunately, we wouldn't have a film if that was the case, so things unravel when a new outbreak occurs. But let's rewind a bit, because the opening scene I want to talk about is apparently set closest to the time of the original outbreak and it follows a group of people hiding in a country cottage. This includes married couple Don and Alice, played by Robert Carlyle and Catherine McCormack, along with an elderly couple, Geoff and Sally, Jacob and a young woman called Karen. Unfortunately, one morning a young kid comes looking for hideout and ends up attracting a huge horde of infected that ends up tearing inside the house and splitting the group. What happens then is what I want to talk about. So, to analyze that scene, I'm going to talk about four things. Number one, the setup. I already talked a bit about the setup, but I want to expand a bit on it. When the film opens, we see Don and Alice in a cozy, hardy country kitchen, lighting candles and deciding what to prepare for dinner. It is a fairly intimate conversation as we see them get close together and hug and kiss, which serves to establish their relationship and how close they are. During their conversation, we also find out that their two children weren't in London at the time of the outbreak. They were on a school trip or something, so they might be safe. But there's that uncertainty on them about where they are and how they're doing. So with their family situation established, they seem to be a loving couple worried about their kids. The film then proceeds to establish the situation they're in now. Because as they start to get closer and they start kissing, they are interrupted by Sally, the old woman that owns the cottage. It is then that you realize that they're not alone, that there are a couple of other people hiding with them. So after that cozy opening between them, this interruption sort of grounds us into the reality that they're in. And as we meet the other survivors, we also start to see the tension between them. The main point of tension lies in Karen, the young woman whose boyfriend went out a couple of days ago and hasn't returned yet. Something that one of the other survivors, Jacob, lashes at. He assures her that her boyfriend won't return and that he's probably dead. Here we go again. Jacob, no. Let me tell you something, sweetheart. It's been five days since your boyfriend ran out on us. If he's still breathing, which I doubt, it won't be the pasta he's interested in. Jacob! It'd be your fucking neck! Don't, don't, don't say that! Oh, well done, Jacob. Why? We all know it's true. The sooner she faces it, the better. There are no survivors. It's just us in here and them out there. Don tries to intervene and calm them, but it is then that they are interrupted by a knock at the door and a kid screaming outside. And an interesting exchange between Don and Alice occurs here because Alice's instinct is to immediately open the door and help this kid, while Don seems to be more cautious. It's a boy. Wait, 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 wait. Don't worry, that. Don, it's a kid! Is he wrong? Is she right? I think those are some of the questions that I think the story wants to hang over us. 
This is a good moment to talk about my second point, the setting, the place where they are, because during the whole scene, the director takes a lot of advantage of the way the house is built and its condition, and a lot of that is established at this moment. First, you can see this is an old wood cottage of sorts, where they barricaded the doors and the windows with boards and other stuff. This is not a strong concrete or brick house. As the kid keeps knocking outside and Alice goes to open, Don starts to remove all the things they had to put to barricade the door. And when they open, light just pours in and blinds them. It's as if they hadn't seen the light in months, which they probably hadn't. But you can see they're in the country and they are more or less exposed because it's an open field. The kid quickly runs to Alice and embraces her. And this bond, as out of nowhere as it may seem, is key. As they feed him, the kid says that his mother and father are chasing him to kill him. So we know what happened to them. How did you get here? They were chasing me, screaming. I was scared. I ran. I Who were chasing you? My mum. My dad. They're trying to kill me. So there's an innate desire from this kid to seek protection in other adults. On the other hand, we already know that Alice and Don are separated from their children, and they're anxious about that. So since Alice is unable to protect her own kids, one can assume there's a subconscious desire in Alice to protect this kid. And maybe by proxy, that'll mean she's protecting her own kids. As the kid's sharing his story, you can see Karen, the young girl waiting for her boyfriend, is getting more scared and approaches one of the windows of the cottage and starts peeking outside, removing the covers they had put in the windows. This is a good moment to shift to my third point, the direction, because there's a bit of clever editing and direction here as you see that girl looking outside, but the camera goes back and forth to the conversation with the kid where Don is asking him how many more infected were following you, and just when he replies, loads. Boom, that's when you see an infected snarling through the windows where Karen was looking at. Boom, they start breaking through the wood panels of the cottage walls, grabbing her and biting her before the others arrive. There's others too. How many? Loads, Sam. And this is the terrifying thing about this infection, which we've seen since the first film. It is immediate, so as soon as she falls to the ground, bitten, she's gone. She starts vomiting blood and attacking Jacob, and the direction, which had been pretty standard, steady and slow up to this point, switches to a more frenetic and handheld style, which obviously helps to put us in the middle of the action, and I think it works great here. As the group starts to run away, Don uses a crowbar to fend off the zombies. So this also helps to establish that they're not necessarily equipped to handle them. None of them seems to have any weapon, two of them are elderly people, but they do seem to have a plan, or at least that's the impression that I get, that the barn was like the go-to place, perhaps on their way outside. However, as Alice and the kid are running, zombies start to break through another wall and the kid flees upstairs. And being the proxy mom she is, she runs behind him to a spot where she'll probably end up with no way out. And here is where I want to head into my final point, which I've dubbed the conclusion. By asking some questions, would you have done the same as Alice, letting the kid in, following him upstairs, even if it meant you could end up potentially trapped, cornered? We'll see, but as the old couple gets killed in the barn and Jacob escapes through a window, we see that Don loses his crowbar in the fight with the infected, and then he realizes his wife is upstairs, so he runs to help her as we see more infected pouring in through the walls. 
As Don tries repeatedly to grab Alice, she insists on grabbing this frenetic kid that just keeps running away, and this is where an infected breaks in between them, and as Alice screams for Don to help them, Don hesitates a bit, but closes the door on them and flees. Now, this is the meaty part of the scene, because as we see more infected corner Alice and the kid in a room, we see Don crawling out a window and running away. As he runs to the hills, we see them lock eyes one last time as she stands on the window, screaming as she's ultimately dragged away. Meanwhile, Don races in one of the best sequences of the scene as you see the camera swoop from above on him as we see him running, sprinting, and dozens of infected keep coming over the hills to follow him. The direction and the camera movement here is superb, and it does such a great job of driving the tension as you realize in how much shit this man is, outnumbered, outrun maybe. There are rumors that Danny Boyle himself directed some parts of this whole scene since he was part of the first or second unit, but I couldn't find anything concrete as to the extent of his involvement. Either way, the whole direction is fantastic. Eventually, Don reaches a small dock where Jacob was already untying a small boat to escape. Don jumps on the boat, but Jacob falls in the water, so he ends up killed as well, as Don heads out into the horizon as the lone survivor of this attack. Now, I made a poll on Twitter and asked, how do you think Don acted? Selfishly? Cowardly? By survival instinct? Or pure evil? And it got 9 votes. 11% said he was pure evil, 22% said he was selfish or coward, and 66% said he was relying on his survival instinct. Some of the responses I got were from my brother, my real-life brother, Jorge, who said, about coward and survival instinct? Have to see it again now to check the full scene for judgment. My friend Pete from the middle-class film class said, Tied with Inglorious Bastards as the best opening scene or character introduction scene of any movie. I go back and forth on how I feel about his decision. That's part of what makes it so good. My friend Loser said, It's tricky to judge because I think the character truly feels the guilt of his choice to survive. And my friend Tim Dougherty said, The casting and editing made Don seem like a tool, but on a pragmatic level, I think it wasn't unreasonable and probably realistic. And I think this is more or less where I fall. The way the scene is shot and the slow motion as he closes the door on Alice and we see her scream with her eyes wide open. Done! And then that shot of him running as he looks at her being dragged on the window. It's all set up to make us go like, motherfucker! But when you analyze everything that's happening, like Tim said, it wasn't unreasonable for him to react that way. And I'm willing to bet it's what most of us would have done.
There is certainly an expectation to romanticize the moment based on heroic stereotypes and other films, and the film does that to a certain extent. All through the attack, Don is pretty much the only one that fights the infected, only with a crowbar, which he loses in the fight, so he doesn't have a weapon, he's outnumbered, he's repeatedly trying to grab Alice, who just keeps getting away to protect this kid, his adrenaline is pumping, you find yourself in a tight spot where you can barely maneuver, survival instinct has to be in high gear, there's really no other choice. Sure, films will lead us to believe that Don could have ripped the infected to pieces and saved the day, but that's not real life. In real life, he would have ended up dead if he had done something to help Alice. But instead, survival instinct kicks in, and running it is. And that's how he survives. And as the film goes on, I think the film puts a lot of baggage on Don for not saving her, which I don't think is entirely fair, but it's the way the film is framed to a certain extent. Anyway, after that opening scene, the film fast-forwards 28 weeks, and now Don is the caretaker of this new quarantine zone in London, where people will arrive to relocate. He's waiting to meet his two kids who are coming from abroad, and when the topic of their mother comes up, Don decides to lie about what happened, telling them that he saw their mother die, which, again, I don't think is that unreasonable from the perspective of a guilt-ridden parent who abandoned their mother. But again, I think the film pushes a bit too much into the angle of him being an asshole or a coward. As far as I'm concerned, he was just a man that was trying to survive. Granted, Alice got her revenge later on, planned or not, as we find out that she actually survived because she's immune to the rage virus. So even though she was attacked, she never turned. So they find her and the military put her in isolation as they figure out if they can get a cure out of her. But when the anguished Don finds out about it, uses his access to sneak in, they have a tense meeting but share a final kiss. A very wet kiss, because the director makes an effort to show us that. So we are aware of what will happen. And the rest is history. Whether Alice knew what would happen, I don't know. But Don's reaction tells us that he didn't know. Either way, Don ends up infected and becomes the sort of main antagonist of the film as he relentlessly pursues his children all through London until the end. So, those are my thoughts on that great scene from 28 Weeks Later, a scene that, like I said, I still think it's one of the best opening scenes on any film. My friend Scotty at Pirate Scotty said, I loved it. The opening was a masterpiece in its own right. Some parts in the middle were way too frenzied, in my opinion. Crazy editing, particularly in the subway tunnels when everyone was being evacuated. And my friend Darren at New Guy Review 101 said, I love this scene, pure intensity. I also love the chopper sequence. I did a fun write-up of potential additions in the franchise too. The chopper scene is a scene towards the last act. It's a pretty dumb scene, but you kind of have fun with it as a military guy in a helicopter basically leans the chopper and uses the blades to mow down a horde of zombies. Again, it's dumb, but fun. The other thing that Darren mentioned is that he wrote a series of pitches he has on his website for potential sequels for this franchise. So check them out on Darren's website, Movies Review 101. They are pretty cool. Thanks to everybody for sharing their thoughts or chiming in on the poll. If you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at my personal account at TFCGT or the podcast account at TMML2021. We appreciate any help you can give us in spreading the word and sharing the loot, whether it is telling others about the loot, retweeting our episodes, rating, and or reviewing the show on whatever platform you listen to. 
Also, stay tuned for our next episode, The October Loot, where I will share my thoughts on the rest of the horror films I saw during the month. In the meantime, as I recover from this infection, I want to thank everybody for, unlike Don, not abandoning me to my luck. I can assure you that when my turn comes, I won't abandon <laughs> I better run.